Welcome to our special Black and Gold Banneret Podcast 2020 UCF Knights Baseball Preview Show. You've been waiting for it. It's finally here. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. Uh, it's a, uh, it, well, we're, baseball season's finally here. We, uh, we had our, we'll hear from Greg Lovelady a little bit later on our annual big, huge, you know, blowout interview with Coach Lovelady. We'll hear from some players. Uh, but most of all, Mer- uh, Brian Murphy, I know you are super excited that baseball season is finally here. It's a good thing this isn't a video podcast, Jeffrey. <laughs> there's, a, there's a tear in the eye on a day like this where, oh, it's it's been a cold, long winter, but it's finally here. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you broke out your Elton John circa 1975 hat. You know, it's a celebratory mood. There's glitter all over the place. You're just beyond excited for that. I, you know, you, I mean, you've how many times have you hijacked this podcast in the previous six months uh, with baseball news? I mean, you know, <laughs> jeez. Uh, do you want me? To, do you want me to do that less from now on? No, no. Well, no. Well, I'm. Well, what I'm saying is, you don't have to hijack the podcast with baseball news because now it's baseball season. It's part of the regular plan. That's true. <laughs> true. I see. All I've been trying to do throughout you know the the season that people care about football i've been trying to sneak in these little bits not only for the listeners but mostly for me because i got i got a you know 365 day itch going on and so i just need to scratch the itch a little bit keeping the you're keeping the flame lit you're keeping the flame lit that's that's admirable um all right so like i said here's what we've got we've got we're hearing from greg lovelady uh in fact we'll hear from him first here in a second uh We've got uh, also uh, Jeffrey Pena and Colton Gordon is the Friday night starter for UCF versus Siena. He's a name to know, certainly, since he'll be the first player on the bump for the Knights. Good thing I know that so well, uh, because (laughs) that's pretty much an indication of what this team is coming from. Uh, They uh, a number of new guys on the team, Um, certainly more position players than pitchers, but still. Uh, uh, we'll hear about that from uh, Coach Lovelady himself, who seemed quite excited about this uh, about this group that he has um, this year. You know, for you, so far this is by the way hard to believe already. This is Coach Love's fourth year at UCF. He's wow. uh, he's I think uh, this is like our fourth annual tradition. I know. I mean, it is a tradition unlike any other. He's uh, his career record at UCF right now one eleven and sixty five. 39 and 32 in conference. Last year the Knights went 36 and 22, 11 and 13 in the American. Still finished in sixth. Um, got eliminated in the semifinals of the American Athletic Conference baseball tournament in Clearwater. There was plenty of drama to go with that, including the come from behind win against uh, the Memphis Tigers in extra innings. But ultimately, and personally, you know, before we get to love, you know, I think that. The fact that they won 36 games last year and and got to the conference semifinals with all of the injuries that they suffered, especially to the pitching staff, was a flipping miracle. Probably the best coaching job that Coach Lovelady has done to this point. What do you think, uh, Brian? I agree with that. I know people will look at just the end result. They will look at the bottom line and go, well, they didn't do anything. They didn't do much in the conference tournament. They ended up sixth in the conference and they didn't make it to the NCAAs. Uh, but that's for those who want to draw like some, you know, some yay, yay or nay binary, you know, takes. That's fine. But there's nuance involved in all of this. And the fact that this team, you know, for the second year in a row, 
got to be, you know, among the, the the first five out. You know, and I know that that's painful, but that really means that this, this team, with really only by the end of the year, which had like three reliable relievers due to injury, uh, they really came within one or two wins at most of a, an NCAA spot. And so we need to understand that that's how close this team was, considering that they had a ton of injuries on, on both the starting and relieving side, and their offense really wasn't deep at all past like the three or four holes in the lineup. Like, there was so there was so much wrong with this team, and yet they came on the doorstep of making the tournament. And that is that is something that should be lauded. What do you think, Eric? I agree with Murph. I mean, I remember last season we thought their season was done after the Cincinnati series. Like, oh, they're not going to be able to recover from the ton of injuries, Murph. I mean, I feel like last year, last year every episode we did every week, Murph, you had a new injury to report, <laughs> and it was just like a mass unit, especially on the pitching staff. Uh, and yet they made that incredible run the last month, month and a half, and got themselves within a, a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately, they ran into a hot Cincinnati team that not only uh, beaten Octomau, but ended up winning the American Conference Championship. So um, I agree. I mean, considering all the injuries you have, and as you're about to hear with Coach Lovelady, with the extra depth in the pitching in particular, but in not only that, but in the entire roster, and with hopefully a little, you know, better luck from an injury standpoint, uh, I think there's reason to be optimistic. And look, I mean, he's won a conference championship. Think about this from UCF baseball since they left the A Sun Conference. Okay, they've won one conference championship. That was in 2017. That was Greg Lovelady's first year with a team that was picked near the bottom of the league. And no offense to the roster those last couple years there, Murph, but it wasn't like those were high draft pick guys all over the diamond. You know what I mean? So I think he's right. uh, considering, and, and it will, he's going to get into here, we're finally going to start seeing some of his players. Because the way baseball is, it's you don't get your players not right away. So as far as recruiting is concerned. So I, I agree with you, Jeff. I think he did a heck of a job just to even get to that position where we were talking about the making the NCAA tournament going into the conference tournament, which uh, looked pretty, it didn't look possible with all the injuries and adversity they had uh, with the injuries and, and just kind of some of the flaws on the team. Right. So, all right, let's get right to it right here because uh, this interview lasts about 30 minutes and we're so grateful to head coach uh, Greg Lovelady and also uh, Colin Yeager uh, over at UCF Athletics for allowing us the time uh, to speak with them for such an extended length. It's, I mean, it's really busy at this time of year for them as they as they get ready for the season. And it feels like I love was telling us right before the uh, right before the interview that he's like, you know, it, it, you wait for the season to come and then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden it's here and like you feel like you never have enough time for anything. So, all right, here is our 2020 preseason preview interview with head coach Greg Lovelady. Well, we're here for our favorite time of the year, and it is, uh, we can't start the baseball season until we spend some time in head coach Greg Lovelady's office. It's the three of us and love here, previewing UCF baseball for 2020. How you yeah, doing, coach? I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys coming and just excited. I kind of, this is like, uh, you know, Fan Fest and this are like the two things that really let me know that the season <laughs> is here. It's like Jim Nash should be here saying a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, so I'll, I, I want to start with the first question, which will probably dovetail into much of what we'll talk about here. But all the guys you lost from last year, all the newcomers this year, when you started back you know, in the summer and into the fall trying to assemble the roster, when you have that, met, that much space to fill, where do you start? Well, I mean, it's crazy because the recruiting, unlike every other sport, um, 
our recruiting starts so long ago. I mean, these you're talking about ninth graders. These some of these kids committed in ninth grade, tenth grade, um, and so it's you know you're really at the very end. You're kind of scrambling to maybe fill a couple spots, um, but it's not like you're like okay, everybody leaves. Like we got 19 spots to fill, and we got to go fill them. Like it's just not the way that we work, uh, unfortunately. Um, I mean, sometimes I wish it was uh, that we could all just in the summer. That's when we did it, and we you knew exactly what kids are going to be like and how good they're going to be. But we're, we're having to guess and make make evaluations so early just because of you know the craziness in the recruiting in our sport, which is just different than every other sport that there is. Um, it, it's it's crazy, but at the same time, there is you know you, with the draft, you still don't know. So I mean, you're you're juggling all these numbers and, and scholarships and roster spots and who could get drafted, who could leave, all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, you put yourself in some really hairy positions sometimes where you might be five people over and now you got a problem, or you might be five people under and you got maybe even a bigger problem. And so there's always room, but you're always trying to project and understand that here's what the averages say. And hey, we got these five guys that we know are gonna get drafted and probably not come back. And there's a couple question marks. So let's take one or two extra spots. And But you still end up being under and you find a couple guys um, um, in the summer, but you're scrambling around trying to find transfers or guys that are still available from junior colleges or you know other other means. But um, so the beginning of the summer can be a little bit crazy, but then it kind of slows down and, and you, you end up with what you got and, and you go go to work. And then it speeds up again when you hit February, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> and with all those new guys, though, you have raved actually in the fall about how they've all kind of come together. Mm-hmm. You've talked about how the freshmen of this team are really bought in right away. So how, in in some ways, how has this team been different than your previous uh, iterations? Just because it seems like this team's freshmen and all the new guys have bonded really quickly. Is that different? Yeah, a little bit. But so, again, we go back to this recruiting process. Like, we have really tried to fill holes the last couple years. And in the recruiting process, because in terms of the high school kids, we really have, this is our first class that we had a fair shot at every high school kid in America, uh, where when I first got here, those these first two classes, they were picked over already. All the kids were committed, so you're going to find guys that fell through the cracks, like a Dalton Wingo or Ben McCabe, um, and you're getting, we only had like four or five freshmen in those classes, and then we were filling a gap with transfers and, and JUCO kids. Yeah. Well, now that we have, we flipped it, where we brought in 13 freshmen and, and, a, and a handful of JUCO, so we flipped the script, which is was the plan all along, um, but these kids, these kids chose me and our staff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's just a difference. So one, we've known them for three years. We've recruited them. We've built that relationship. But at the same time, like, um, you know, they had a choice. Like, they got to go visit other schools. It wasn't like, hey, man, I don't have any other offers. I've kind of fallen through the cracks. Like, you guys are looking at me, and this is my option. I'll take it. Yeah. These guys said, I can go anywhere I want to. And they sat down in our offices, sat down with, with their position coach, sat down with me and said, okay, this is what we're about. This is where we want to go. This is how we want to do it. And they said, I want to be in on that. And I think that in itself changes everything because it's not like, oh, man, like why are we – like I don't, I don't want to do this or this isn't what I signed up for. Like this is what you signed up for. And so already coming in, they've already kind of had more buy-in because mm-hmm. it wasn't like, okay, what are you going to be about as a new coach or what, what am I signing up for? You know, they chose this – this spot they mm-hmm. chose us and so I think that changes it just a little bit right off the get-go where they're like hey man this is what he told me three years ago when I committed that this is what it was going to be about so this is what I believe in I've I've we've built that relationship we've talked about it over the three years so they've already come in knowing like this is what I have to care about or this is what we care about this is what I 
I signed up. I'm part of the team now. Like, and this is what we this is what we do. And, and so they immediately, as they walked in here, started saying like, okay, like this is this is how it's going to be. And so I just think that bond. Uh, we've got great leaders also. I think which is a little bit different. Just uh, guys that have really. Um, bought in from the minute that they've been here and so I think we just have more buy-in uh, from top to bottom and I think just a lot of that it comes from the recruiting process. And that brings also that development. It allows you to kind of as a staff to develop the players and get more time instead of kind of figuring players out on the fly, right? That's been a challenge for you. No, no doubt. And again, that's all been part of the plan is knowing that this class was going to be the first one that we were really going to have kids for multiple years. And, and you, again, you see a guy like Dalton Wingo, what, what our program can do for a kid and, and to go from where he's been to where he's at now, like that's that's what we can do, but we've got to also have time and, and, and be able to do that. And if you have a transfer, whether it's a grad transfer and he's here for one year or he's here for one year as a JUCO and gets drafted, like you don't get that same type of development and you also don't get to build the depth that you want. Um, and so, again, I think that we have the depth now just from the way things are working out. And if we can continue to back up each class the way we kind of did with this in terms of being – you know, flipping the numbers to more high school kids and transfers, then you're just going to continue to build that depth, but you're also going to continue to build uh, great players because you're going to have your hands on them for more than, you know, six to, to 24 months where you're going to get them for the 24 to 48 months. And that's when you're really going to see a huge, huge jump. And so um, the next three years are really exciting because this has been, this has been the, you know, the plan all along was to this class really be the ones that kind of take us to the next level. Has that created more even competition in the fall than even the previous years? You know, in softball, Coach Brad, she had 12 new faces, and that created competition even to today, Even and that brought the best out of the returning players because there's no spots guaranteed. Yeah. Could that be a big advantage? Whereas past years, like, well, I already know my spot, you know, certain players. Everybody knows, hey, if I improve and work hard, I got a chance to play. No, it's huge. I mean, that's again, that's part of when we talk about the plan of getting depth is that depth promotes competition and competition promotes uncomfortability, which promotes growth. And so um, no doubt that probably this time every year it was like these are my eight guys and I might have one position battle or one platoon. And most of the time it's like they're both not very good and I got to choose the one that's the best of the worst kind of thing where now it's like, man, I got – 12 hitters that I I still am unsure of opening night like what I'm going to do and I mean I might need to move some things around the first weekend to see like how guys do when the lights come on and have some some different lineups and things like that because there is competition I think so I think knowing over your shoulder like man there's there hasn't been that where they look over their shoulder and it's like well what else is he going to do like put that guy in the game like that's not going to happen kind of thing and so there's just a lot of comfortability where I think that the competition the depth provides that competition that makes it uncomfortable and kids have to get better like and you have to buy in if you don't you get you get you get left and so definitely makes everyone on the team better and that's that's obviously fun to see. And starting with the pitching staff, you talk about the competition. You said last night that Hunter Pattison, a freshman, is mm -hmm. probably going to be in your weekend rotation mm -hmm. here. How does he win that job? What has he done in this, this practice uh, spring? And, and then obviously from there, how else do you fill out your weekend rotation? Yeah, I know obviously he was highly touted. I mean, he was a guy that when we got him, we were very excited about. We, we, we knew that he had a really high ceiling. He gets drafted out of high school. We knew that, that there was a chance we might not get him. And, and, but we also knew he had a lot of growth. I mean, just – He's a beanpole and he needs to put on weight, but a lot of comparisons to like a Chris Sale kind of body type and arm action and, and whatnot. And um, he's done a great job in the weight room, uh, worked really, really hard. He's, he's gained some velocity. Um, he's got his slider to be a lot better, but he's just been more and more consistent every day, just getting better. He's been on that, that growth of, of, you know, that positive growth um, graph that he just every day he comes out, every outing he's pitched is, you know, if you had sat here and said, 
two weeks into the fall, like when he was pitching in live games, like what do you think? Like, oh man, he's got a, he's got a work to do. But then the next start is like, oh man, he got better. And then the next one, man, he got better. And then the black and gold, like man, he's really starting to put it together. And he comes back again. And now when you come back in the in the spring, those freshmen, they've they've they can relax and take a breath. They that first fall is very intense for them, and mm-hmm. just their bodies are going through a lot of transition in terms of how much work we put in. They don't understand. They don't really know what work is. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what practices are going to be like. Now that they do, they can really take a breath over the break and then come back and kind of be like, okay, I know, I know the pace. I know. I have an understanding of what the expectations are, and that's when you really kind of see them settle in. And he's done a tremendous job, and every outing has been better and better. And um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think he deserves it, and I'm excited to see him in the rotation. So, you know, obviously, Colton Gordon's done a tremendous job. Uh, looks like you know we got to finalize it today, but I think he's going to pitch on Fridays again, a transfer mm-hmm. uh, from junior college, but w- went to Florida out of high school, and uh, his again has made strides. His his off speed stuff is crisp. Um, his velo's up a couple miles an hour, um, and he's done a great job and has really earned that job. Obviously, Trevor Holloway has been f- fantastic, back to healthy. Um, you know, and he, Trevor's always a sh- slow starter, so I, I know that he's going to continue to get better a- as the weeks go. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like we have two aces at the top of the at the top of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zach Hunsaker has been great. Um, Hunter Pattison's been great. Obviously, Joe's coming back and um, and is getting closer and closer to where he was. Um, you know, just got to get some of that rust off um but i mean those those five or six guys have really done a great job of of solidifying what we think is going to be a great starting rotation when i talked to joe on media day he seemed adamant that yes you could come out and throw right now he could pitch right now and you seemed uh optimistic but cautiously optimistic you talked about how his process is still ongoing do you do you have a sense of when he will be ready to pitch if not this weekend he's ready to pitch this weekend i mean he's able to pitch physically able to pitch it's whether he can fit into our rotation or not and be that good i mean he again i don't think he's back the rust is still there in terms of being able to to command the zone and and do those kind of things which he was really really good at um that that is not back yet in terms of but that's a lot of that's you know it's a little bit different when you get into the games and all that kind of stuff and just getting that rust off and feeling comfortable and you know it sucks because you would have liked that to been in the fall where there was less pressure of trying to win a job and doing all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of pressure on him now because he wants to get back he, he cares um you know he wants to be in the rotation all that kind of stuff so you're adding not only the pressure of how do i get back and get the rust knocked off but at the same time like i don't want to pitch bad i can't just say okay well, let me just get out there and get the rust off because if i pitch bad then others pitch better than me i'm in but he also has some equity that he's that he's put in just in terms of what he's done before so um you know you you trust that he's going to figure it out and so that's why he's in the mix um but um you know he's he's he'll be ready opening day to pitch and if it's sunday and he starts then great and if it's out of relief and maybe on Tuesday he ends up coming in and starting against Stetson like that's those are all on the table I mean he's going to pitch um, for us he's he's ready to go um, you know again he just needs to kind of clean some stuff up and how important is it to have someone like him with what he's gone through the highs of you know being part of a conference championship team and helping win him a championship to the lows of going through this injury and through this process just talk about that having that on the staff to have somebody like that that you're like hey this is a guy who's has been through it all the bad the good and the bad and and i think the guys can kind of feed off of that and learn from that well i think there's several ways to look at it one obviously has the experience that nobody else has you can't teach that um sometimes uh 
lack of experience can be a good thing that you're just too stupid to understand what what is going on right but also sometimes the, it can go really fast the game can go really fast or the moments can go really fast or the moments can be really big and, and you don't know how to slow down and you have somebody that's been through that that can teach the younger guys and teach the guys that have not been through it hey man like relax like it's just another game like mm-hmm. I, we know the we, we know the magnitude of it we understand what's at stake but it doesn't change the bases are still 90 feet the mound's still 60 feet six inches so somebody calming voice that's in the locker room that's not just us saying it but they're like hey man like trust the coaches like this this is exactly what's going to happen you know that kind of thing uh you can also look at it as you need to take don't take any days for granted and every day could be your last day you know what i mean and so i think just seeing the success that he had that it's not it it, it's just you got to put the work in and you got to continue to take care of yourself and you got to continue to enjoy the game because you never know when it's going to be taken away from you but at the same time you also can look at it as you got to put work in and in bumps in the road or just that exactly they're they're not dead ends like you just got to get through them and you got to find a way to get around them and, and he's gone from the very top to the very bottom and in his career being in jeopardy and all that kind of stuff and then seeing him work back and um and put himself in a situation in, in a in a in a position to be in the starting rotation just shows the amount of work and amount of cares and, and he's had to grind and so I think older guy or younger guys can look at that and say man look how much he's done to get to this like well imagine if I put that kind of work in and I wasn't coming back from an injury and I was starting from where I am at right now and I worked as hard as he did where would I be uh, so I think that from all of those different prongs he, he can give a learning experience to a lot of different people and as far as Colton getting the Friday start I remember last year with Grant Sherman from a stuff perspective I don't think he was your best pitcher from a mm-hmm. stuff perspective but you knew you were going to get out of him he was right. safe he was consistent he was steady. Is that kind of one of the reasons why, why Colton gets, like, talk to me about Colton and why he gets the start. Is it because you know what you're going to get out of him on a Friday? Nah, no, I mean, I think with, with Grant, it was more like he had 500 innings in college mm-hmm. and he had been through all that. He had pitched in big games. Like, he, he had that just maturity. He was 20, 23 years old or yeah. whatever it was and, and just understood what it took to show up every every weekend and have to and have to tow the rubber. I, there's something that goes with that. You know, again, you talk about you can't teach that. And, and to go through all that, you learn a lot and you understand. You learn what can what you need to freak out about and what's not a big deal and what you can pitch through and what you can't. And So there's just that maturity that you've been through that. And so Grant had that and just gave us that stability on a Friday night. Um, where, you know, Colton doesn't have that experience, but he has he's had the stuff. He's got the body. He's got the frame to to withstand, you know, being a Friday night guy. Uh, but he's also had the success here and against what you know has been turned out to be a pretty good offense so far mm-hmm. in practice. Um, you know, he's had the stuff. He's upticked his stuff. He's comes from a tough angle, not only arm slot, but because of his size, um, it's really difficult. And so he's had a lot of success against our guys and just been the best guy. And, and at the end of the day, like I, there is nobody that has stood out in terms of that maturity and that and that and be able to handle that Friday night role. And at the end of the day, then you go with the guy that has the best stuff and that you think in 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 time will turn out to be that guy. And that's that's who that's who deserves it right now. You talk about the offense has been surprisingly good. There are obviously a bunch of new pieces there. The fans who were here last year. Uh, you know, there's really only two guys who are back who, who could be considered regulars last year, McCabe and Wingo. Uh, I guess we could just start there. Dalton Wingo is the face of this team, is yep. he not? And just, with, with, I think there is a pre- not, maybe just I don't want to put this on him, but there is a pressure that comes with that, of being the guy who you know is going to be the middle of your lineup, who's gotten the most at-bats of anybody coming back. How does he deal with that? What have you told him about how he needs to deal with that going into this season? Yeah, well, he definitely is. I mean, he's the leader, and he does it in so many ways. Um, you know, I've just been I've been amazed, and um, you know, with the with the the fanfare that he's gotten, the accolades, and, mm-hmm. and the success that he's had. That he's a, he's the guy that's picking up the balls. He's cleaning up after practice. Like um, you know, we talk a lot about sweeping the sheds, and and nobody's you know above it. And and he 
uh, exemplifies that. And, uh, and so as a leader, he's been tremendous. And um, I think because of that humble work ethic that he has, like I, I don't think that the pressure is going to get to him. I also think we've done a great job of surrounding him with guys. But um, he understands, I think, as a freshman, he probably had some really high expectations and got humbled a little bit. Uh, and he nobody works harder in the weight room. Nobody works harder on the swing. Nobody cares more than him. Um, um, and so, you know, you trust that that, that all that other stuff is going to make him be able to handle handle you know being the guy now, and I think he's worked his way up. He had to walk in and be the guy, and now he doesn't have anyone around him. He's the only one left. He's worked his way up from being the the part time eight hole hitter to the five hole hitter mm-hmm. to now being the the two hole hitter. Like he he's done that, and so um, I think he's worked his way where he can trust all that stuff. It's not it's not fluff. It's not fake. It's not you know I've had protection and I've done like I've had to work my way up there, and I've earned everything that I've gotten. I've proven that I can do this and so now obviously I got we got to do a good job part of the reason why he's batting second is, is one to get him more bats two to, to make sure that there's people around him that can protect him and stuff like that so I've got to do a very good job I think more of that end than I do anything else and um, but I trust him mentally I trust him um, just in terms of how he goes about his business that he's going to be able to handle the grind every day of being being in the centerpiece of our offense well you talked about and you did this with him with Ryland Thomas who although he was also probably your best power hitter you batted him second because you wanted him to get on base you wanted to get more at bats it makes a lot of sense uh, as far as surrounding him with talent, I, I think one guy I've seen in practice who just, and even in fall, who's, who's been the most surprising guy I've seen is just Josh Crouch, mm-hmm. who just hits bombs. Yeah. Uh, does he have the most raw power, if he didn't even include Dalton, does he have the most raw power of anybody else in this lineup? Yeah, you know, him and Jostin probably are the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably very similar. Um, but, you know, he's been a great surprise. You know, we kind of, kind of, you know, we knew he had the power potential, um, thought, um, that defensively it was going to be a little bit farther ahead offensively, that he could run into balls, put some fear into people, but probably going to take some time. But he's actually been a probably the biggest surprise offensively in terms of mm-hmm. what the expectations were to what he's produced. He, he was our biggest producer in the fall on RBIs. Um, he's hit a couple home runs here, balls off the wall, doubles into the gaps. Like Been a really uh, offensive presence uh, to really kind of solidify the middle of our lineup um, and really make us deeper. I mean, last year we kind of – you know, we, we did the same thing. We were hitting guys that we, we thought were our best hitters at the top of the lineup just to get them more at-bats and produce more runs. Um, but it's really started to, to tail as we got to the, to really to the middle line. Four was really as far as we got. We're, we're probably going six or seven deep now where we feel like had that huge presence. And now we just need the bottom of the order to do what they do, to run, get on base, walk, uh, move guys over, and then flip it over back to the top of the lineup. So um, Crouch and Joseph are going to are gonna hit in the middle of the lineup and, and really bring some power that um, is going to help protect uh jordan rathbone has been a huge huge deal for us i mean a guy that only got i think 40 or 50 at bats last year yeah. and has again settled in that that first year the pressure the i want i need to start i'm a transfer like this is it and you know it doesn't go my way and just it just spun out of control and again that trying to get acclimated to to the to i mean comes cross country like he came across the entire country to play here and just think a lot of that just sped up he couldn't slow it down and just snowballed into to, to kind of a wasted year but you can just see how much easier this is and how much slower the game's going for him. And he's been he's been he's second in our team in average when you combine the fall and the spring together. So he's probably gonna hit four hole, I think. Um and hit in the middle between Jostin and Crouch and um but just gives us that older presence that's been around the block this for a couple of years and understands what the grind is really like and seen other people go through it and, and hopefully has learned and um you know, you just trust him because of because of what he's been through. And then Jeffrey Payne has been 
you talk about development, you know, just going from last year being a defensive replacement, I think he had five at-bats. He got to play a lot and pinch run in defensive situations. Um, but he's put on, like, 12 pounds of muscle, and he's, like, an absolute different person. But, I mean, we saw this. I mean, we saw the athleticism, the fast twitch in him. That's why, again, a program like ours that really, really hounds on development, this is what you see. And, and you see a guy go off in the summer, really work it, get a bunch of at-bats, put on that muscle, come back in the fall, different person confidence-wise. Like, he's obviously learned English more. He's feeling more comfortable in the state. He just feels more comfortable around here. He knows what the expectations are. He's gained more confidence. He's like a totally different person, just how he carries himself. And he's been our best player uh, the entire spring and fall. Man. And he's going to hit lead off, and, and I expect him to have a great year. And, I, and this isn't even a question, but to, to kind of back up what you say about Pena, fans who watched this team last year will probably know him most because he scored the game-winning run against Memphis as a yeah. pinch runner. Right. That, was, that was his niche. He was a right. pinch runner, late-inning guy. And then in the fall, you come out, if you watch them fall, he hit an oppo home run. Mm-hmm. And this is something you would not have expected out of him right. four months earlier. Uh, the growth is amazing. I yeah, think. and it's been awesome. And he's just such a great kid. I mean, if you've ever sat down and talked with the guy, he's the most humble. I mean, obviously come from from really bad background and from the Dominican and just no money and um, has really, you know, been very grateful for the people that have helped him get here. Um, and... And being grateful for us to give him the opportunity. He works extremely, extremely hard. He cares. Um, and, you know, he's got a lot to play for, for his mom and for his family and stuff. And um, I'm really proud of him because of where he's come. And, you know, we always saw this, but, you know, last year it was like, oh, my gosh, like it's going a little maybe slower than I had hoped and that kind of stuff. Or maybe we were hoping by the end of the year he was starting to get together. But he just needed the weight and needed to put on the strength. And he was just so weak. And um, he's still fast as lightning, can really defend. And, um and he's, gonna, and, he, and he's just a, an emotional leader of our team. He doesn't get to say much because of the, you know, he says a lot, more than you think, just with the language. Um, but he's also like a 3-5 student, which is unbelievable for someone that's been in the States for three years to know that he can come here and do so well. Like, I always, people that come in my office with bad grades, I go, I don't want to hear it because you have no language issues. Like, that has a language issue and he can still figure out how to get good grades. So he's, he's like my poster child for the guys that can't get three O's. Like, Sweet. I don't want to hear it. So, But he's just an all-around unbelievable kid. And I'm, I'm proud of where he's come. I'm excited for him this year. Of course, you got him at center field. And then in the infield, you've talked about Matt Archer, the freshman. Yeah. You like him a lot. And even Noah Orlando. Just talk about what they bring to you, not just from offensively, but defensively, because that's a big part of it is catching the ball and helping your yeah, pitching staff. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a huge part. I mean, the hitting is always going to be – a good pitcher can always stifle a good offense, um, but great defense and great pitching that, that can win you games. Um, and so, you've got really got to be great. And so, you know, Matt Archer is a baseball rat, baseball family. Um, your typical undersized, probably you know, got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder that people probably said he was too small and couldn't play baseball at this level and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it just knows everything about the game he plays the game extremely extremely hard uh you can trust him his defense is tremendous he can play second or third um at a gold glove level um doesn't have like the upper echelon arm strength um but again nothing that he does tools wise is going to stand out if you came and watched him work out one day but when the game gets on the line we play an inner squad or something like that he's the guy that stands out he's the first one on the field the last one um you know, the first one off the field, the first one off the field. Um, he's the last one at the field every day hitting. He, he's doing everything that he can to make sure that he's going to be successful. Um, and, he, and you just trust him that he's able to make every routine play. And so he can play second or third. No, Orlando's been great. You know, Andrew Brait has really come on. He missed the fall with a broken hand and so was very behind and has just really caught up to everybody. He's really pushing to, to play. And so, But him and Noah, and Noah again, are just – Great defenders. Noah's got a little bit more arm strength. Andrew's just a little bit better in terms of fielding the baseball. Uh, so it gives us options. But, again, that depth, like 
it's 50-50. If you'd asked me three weeks ago, it was Noah Orlando's job to lose, and he didn't lose it, but Andrew Braid has really just mm-hmm. blown up in terms of he put on, you know, he couldn't lift in the fall, so he was very frail. He goes off in the summer, and now he can actually lift. He stayed here and lifted for a while, and then went home and, and worked out with Pena and Connor and, and, and did everything that he hadn't done in the fall that he was able to catch up on and put on some mass. And, um, and we always knew that he was the guy that was like the steady Eddie and that's what he came in for. But we didn't get to see a lot of that because he was, was hurt all fall. So just to see him make the growth that he has since November 1st has been tremendous. And so those guys give us defensive um, depth. They give us plus defenders. It gives us abilities to, to move guys, to, to pinch hit, pinch run situations, and know that we're not putting a, a bad defender in the game if I pinch run here, that I have defenders on the bench no matter who I play that can, can go out there and make the routine plays and, and help our defense out. So um, all those guys are vying for those three spots. And, and Joseph obviously, I mean, he's going to play. So, um, But he can play second or third or DH. So, I mean, again, it gives us maneuverability to see some different guys, to pinch hit, pinch run, move some guys, platoon guys, put matchups in there, and know that you know we're not, we're not sacrificing anything because we've got guys at, at the end of the bench that can go in and, and play at just the highest level. And you mentioned you – you know, McCabe and Crouch splitting a catcher, which yeah. is huge to keep them fresh. Yeah. The, the, as you know, as well as anybody, the wear yeah. and tear of that catcher position. As you decide which one to catch on a given day, do you bait? Do, do you are you one that likes to have the catcher catch certain pitchers? Do you believe in that, or what? What when you go into that process and splitting the catchers, how do you? What goes into it? Uh, I mean, a, a lot. You know, I don't love the idea of having personal catchers because I'm always fearful that one pitcher will get so used to a guy and then if he just needs a day off or he gets banged up and now that throws him off for kilter, I like to m- m- move it around. I do like to listen to my pitchers and understand who they like to throw more. And if there's, hey, man, who am I going to start today? Well, this guy does does like this guy a little bit more. You know, I'll try to cater to that a little bit. But, I'm, again, I'm also looking for the long term of what – how do we make sure that these guys, especially a guy like Crouch, who's so offensive, like right. I don't need him at the end of the year being out of gas and, and having and having trouble, you know, showing up um, offensively because we've worn him down. And so making sure that we um, are able to take care of those guys and keep them fresh, so that um, you know, just upticks our offense and, and defense at the end of the year. Like I want to do that. So uh, a lot of it goes into it. Who, like again, if there's a left hander on the mound, I want to get some more right handers. And well, how do I do that? Sure. If I want to get a right hander. If it's a left hand or a right hand on the mound, I want to get some lefties in the lineup. How do I maneuver that around? The catching situation is going to go into it as well. So there's a lot of different a lot of different things that go into it, and, and trying to figure out the best lineup for that day with the matchups. We, you are about ten minutes away from an availability, so I will start talking about the bullpen as we start to wind down here. Having Jeffrey Hankinson in the back end of that bullpen, uh, he's healthy now. Obviously, he was good when healthy when he was here last year. How have you seen him get better as to really establish himself as a closer? Well, again, the same thing in terms of development and just you know get, getting one percent better every single day. Like you know, as a freshman, you know his numbers were actually if you look at his numbers, his batting average against was really down. His strikeouts were really high. His walks were a little up. Mm-hmm. Hit by pitches a little bit high, and he just gave up hits and bat. Like he just couldn't handle the moments. And so last year it was like okay, the velo went up, um, and he was blown and fastballs by guys and he was able to use the slider um, but it was more of like a chase pitch or just a show me pitch uh, just to kind of try to keep him off the fastball as much as we can um, and now he's really mastered the slider he can land that slider 0-0 for a strike almost I mean I saw him do it four out of six hitters this weekend and so just to be able to throw that slider early in the count be able to throw it for strikes um, that just makes the fastball uptick a little bit and so um, just the command is a little bit better um, and then him again last year is, is the first time being in that role as a freshman he was a mop-up guy then last year he gets thrown into that 
uh, that end game role, but then he's you know we're using him so much, and then he's not feeling great, and then we're trying to you know just just getting getting all the injuries last year, and, and trying to run on three guys in the bullpen was just tough on him. Um, so now hopefully we have the depth and we have the guys that allow him to be fresher, uh, and then again if he can land that slider, that just makes him ten times better, um, and it's going to uptick everything that he has. And so just again the experience, his work ethic, how much he how much he's you know just. Um, slowed everything down, but also developed the stuff a little bit, just a little bit better than last year. Is just going to make him, I think, a ton better. And fans will remember that this team got bit by the injury bug so badly last in the bullpen mm-hmm. last year. Kyle Kemp and Garrett Westbrook give you everything they had every time out because they you had no one else yeah. really. But you have said throughout the fall and spring you have got more arms than even going into last year. Yeah. Talk about the quality of your bullpen because I know that's always where you've really wanted to win games by shortening games yeah. and winning those seven, eighth, and ninth innings. Yeah. Well, again, David Litchfield has been the biggest surprise, and not just—I mean, he just has never pitched because he's been hurt all the time. He's mm-hmm. always having the Tommy John and then and then the uh, the stress reaction in his elbow and could just never get right. And now that he's kind of fully back, like he's been 90-94 with sink and, and mm-hmm. with a little cutter that's anywhere. From from 86 to 88 and um, just been uh, a strike machine and it's so hard to hit that velo with that kind of movement that he has um, and so really has given us a, a huge you know jolt in the arm in terms of knowing we got an eighth inning guy and a ninth inning guy with, with, with Hagenson. Uh, Billy McKay who throws submarine I love submariners had a lot of success with them he can throw every day we can do different things with them he can pitch whenever it matters like I can tell him to get loose he'll throw three pitches in the bullpen and be ready like if it's bases loaded one out in a big situation I can call him up to him and try to get a ground ball double play um, so again it just gives us the flexibility to know that we can go to him in the fourth fifth sixth we can start him if we needed to and let him go one or two innings and, and kind of shorten the game through the third time and not let the starter go three times through the lineup to get to, to a guy like Lich and, and, and Hakinson. Jack Sinclair, again, a development and, and basically a raw, clueless freshman to where he's at now. I mean, he's really learned the slider. Uh, the velocity has been been amazing up to 97, in fact, this fall. Oof. Yeah, so, uh, but pitching in that 92 to 95 range, but again, being able to land the slider whenever he wants to is something that he hasn't been able to do. I mean, freshman year was a big loopy curveball that was just okay. Last year, learning the slider and really trying to develop it, and now he's kind of more mastered it. And so, uh, again, he's had the experience. He, he understands what to, what to do to prepare himself, um, and he's gotten better, and he just kind of has a full repertoire of pitches now so again that gives us um, four really really good arms in the bullpen Um, Chad Lindsman the the transfer from Nebraska obviously gives us a guy that has the experience to add to the bullpen you know I still think he's kind of going through that phase where I think he's going to be better second half of the year the first half and once he gets comfortable being here and gets into the games and kind of proves that you know in his own mind that he that he that he can pitch here kind of thing and let everyone know hey man I don't I'm new I'm trying to show everybody what I can do I think a little bit of that will get knocked off and it'll be good mm-hmm. um, obviously Jalen brings a huge experience to us um, just started bullpen gives us some long relief options some some different looks I mean to go to that kind of lefty maybe after a Trevor or, or a Jack or something like that that's too opposite sides of the spectrum uh, that's really going to help, uh, help, I think, keep people off balance and, and whatnot. Um, you know, Nick Gatilla, a freshman um, who's, who's done a good job, who can really get left-handers out, can, can probably do a little bit more than that, but gives us an option in the bullpen to, 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 to get a lefty out if we need it, um, especially if Hunter's in the rotation. And Nolan Lepkowski, you know, like obviously that's a big wild card for us coming back. He just hit the year mark last week. Uh, so we're, from Tommy John. From right. Tommy John, yeah. right. So you're, you're getting into that now, that growth phase for him, where you kind of, mm-hmm. that, that year mark is kind of like the benchmark of, okay, now we can really start to move forward in the next three, four months is really when you see the big gain. So, you know, he's been a little bit inconsistent, but, um, 
you know, you can see see why, you know, we have such high expectations for him. And so, you know, he, he's probably going to be ready to go opening weekend. It'll probably be low leverage situations. Just get him out there. He's never pitched in a college game. So, but th- that first three, four weeks, just get him kind of feet wet and, and continue to build on that stuff. And hopefully, you know, by the time conference starts, he's going to be a, a, another viable option in the pen, which will give us five one inning guys plus Jalen. And, and um, you know, and, and again, if we go down to four starters, that you got to take one of those five starters out and put them in the pen, like like you will this weekend with, with, with the double headers and all that stuff. Right. So we got to add another starter. But yeah. Hunter comes out of the starting rotation, he goes into the pen. If Joe comes out, he goes into the pen. If if uh, if it's Jack, he comes out, he comes into the pen. If it's Hunter, you know what I mean? Like so, then you're adding another arm to the pen. Yeah. So you're just going to have depth. Um, the deepest, so again, the deepest you've ever had since you've been here. Oh yeah, 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 by far, by our deepest team. Uh, you know what? I don't know if we have the same top end talent like the Thad Ward or the Bryce Tucker or the JJ Montgomery who are like that upper echelon or the experience like a Robbie Howell or something like that. We don't have that guy that is either like a no doubt top three rounder or a like already all conference and been like a Chris sure. Williams or something like that. But in terms of one to twelve, like we were going set. I mean, last year with the injuries, we were going six deep, you know. And now we're like a ten, eleven, maybe even twelve, like depending on some of the guys bouncing back. Even Saltonstall who's Coming back and, you know, again, not where he was and, and hopefully a month into it he will be, but that just adds another. I mean, it just it's just really crazy. we got two young freshmen and, and McCormick that um, um, and, and Pulford Thorpe who probably have two of the better stuff on our team. Mm. They're just freshmen and their command is not where you need it to be. And, again, that's that whole Hagenson and, and, mm. and Sinclair that, you know, in three years we're going to be talking about them being top five rounders. We just got to get them there and how fast yeah. do they get there. So, But, again, if those guys figure it out faster than others – or faster than the average freshman, then that could be another arm that you add into the mix late in the year. So there's 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 a whole lot more depth, and that just gives competition, which makes our team better. Also gives guys the rest, and, and we're Hakenson, and you know obviously we're Westberg and Kemp last year. Just gotta you got abused because they, that was all we had. Like we don't have to do that, and um, you know we got to get through these first couple of weeks where sure. the starting pitchers are low on on pitch counts. Mm-hmm. Once we can build them up, man, it's going to be scary the things that we're going to be able to do. I think on a, on a pitching standpoint, Ske- uh, schedule. You got obviously you, know, you go to Auburn return trip series. You've got Cal State Northridge, which Brian has got circled there since he went uh, he went to school there and here. So that's like the Murphy <laughs> Bowl if you want to honor there. Uh, you got obviously Miami and Florida State midweek. As you just talk about the schedule as a whole. Yeah, I mean I think it puts us in the right situation. It gives us some some huge tests early. I mean obviously playing in a regional type atmosphere, a super regional type atmosphere in Auburn which is normally the best pitching staff in, in the entire SEC. Um, you're going to have to go there and, and really show what you got, but it'll be a, a revealer of sorts of where are we. Um, and it'll put us in those situations because obviously that's our goal. We want to play in a regional or super regional, and if we don't host, you got to go and play in those type of places. you got to find a way to win. So we're going to put our guys in those in those environments, what's it going to be like? What's it going to feel like? So that that we are better prepared when it comes to that regional, super regional time, and we, if we have to be on the road. Um, but again, also playing against one of the top pitching staffs and one of the top programs in the country. There should be top twenty-five at least, maybe top ten in some polls. Um, how do we match up against them, and what do we need to get better at? And if you want to beat those kind of teams, what do we got? What do we got to do? And then the same thing when Florida and Florida State or Miami and Florida State come. Again, Miami's going to be. A, I think they're top three, top four in the country. Yeah. Like they're predicted to go to Omaha. Like. 
like you got to beat those type of teams and how are you going to pitch those guys how are you going to hit those guys and so uh, give us a barometer of where we're at and we get to use Auburn as our first one come back and play Miami and see if we've gotten better in a couple weeks come back and play Florida State the week after and, and see how much better we gotten at that while still having to show up every weekend and play against quality teams. I mean, Butler's in the mix to win their, their league. Northridge has obviously been a traditional, a really, I mean, coming from D2 to D1, whatever it was, how long ago, they've been really good. Obviously, they got, you know, one of the best California coaches that has ever lived, you know what I mean, in yeah. our generation, like now coaching them. Um, uh, Yale is always going to be a tough team. Like, they came in and, and we, they played us hard for a few innings, but it was a midweek game where we got to them late. Like, but now we get to face their three pitchers. Like, it's going to be a challenge. And obviously Siena, who, who's going to be excited to be outside. They had a ton of freshmen last year that played every day that uh, I'm assuming are going to be bigger and stronger and, 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 and well-prepared now and understanding the same thing. So it gives us a lot of tough competition. Uh, it really tests us. Um, but when you have one of, if not the toughest, the second toughest league in the entire country to play in in baseball, like you better prepare yourself yeah. or you're going to get punched in the mouth. And so I think the schedule early on allows us to do some different things, but I think it really prepares us for, for the grind of what the AAC um, uh, gives us. And the grind is going to begin on Friday with Siena, like you mentioned, right here at the park. It should be fun to actually get things going. And uh, once again, Greg Lovelady, thank you so much for taking the time for us once again for a season preview best of luck stay healthy we'll catch you on down the road thanks guys appreciate it thanks again to uh greg lovelady uh for again for his uh for his time and uh yeah like we said the season starts against siena uh this weekend so all right let's take a quick break we come back we'll kind of wrap things up a little bit we'll hear from a couple of players uh as well and we'll take a look around the conference just real quick as the uh as UCF schedule is finally taking shape uh, heading into 2020. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, our 2020 UCF baseball preview show. Uh, Jeff Sharon here along with Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. We just heard from head coach Greg Lovelady a few moments ago. A um, couple things I wanted to just throw out there real quick. UCF, by the way, picked to finish fifth in the American preseason uh, by the uh, coaches. The order went, uh, ECU's pick is the favorite, six uh, first-place votes. Houston's number two with three first-place votes, followed by UConn in their final year uh, of the uh, in the American. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Tulane, who finished uh, in third, uh, is picked fourth. Then comes UCF. Then comes Cincinnati. And the Bearcats, by the way, remember, they won the conference tournament last year and went to the NCAA tournament, got on, got on that hot run in Clearwater and made it. Um, they're picked to finish sixth this year. USF, who didn't qualify for the conference tournament last year because they were in ninth place, dead last, are projected to be seventh. And Memphis in eight. Wichita State uh, picked to finish last. They were next to last behind uh, USF last year. So preseason player of the year. Award went to Alec Burleson, the junior from ECU. And by the way, the Pirates also swept uh, those the two prominent preseason player of the awards because they also had the preseason pitcher of the world, uh, pitcher of the year rather, Jake Kuchman, or another junior. So ECU comes back loaded. Uh, both of those guys are preseason all conference. One UCF night made the preseason all conference team, which we heard Greg Lovelady allude to. Dalton Wingo uh, made the team. There were three ECU players uh, on that uh, who were honored and three, uh, or rather two Houston players, Clay Aguilar and Lyle Lockhart, were the two pitchers. I mean, there you go, right? Two ECU pitchers, two Houston pitchers, and one reliever from UConn, or your all-conference uh, 
uh, pitchers. So um, every school was represented in uh, in the preseason all-conference team except for South Florida, interestingly enough. Um, let's talk about UCF uh, and heading into uh, this season uh, by the numbers. Uh, when you look at where they where they finished up, uh, even with all of the uh, injuries that they had, uh, the UCF, in terms of batting average, finished sixth right in the middle of the conference. Uh, third in slugging, believe it or not, and third in on base when you look at the offense, uh, Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, but kind of finished in the middle of the pack everywhere else. Um, who are they going to be relying on, uh, and I'll start with you, Brian, to improve on those numbers because that's one thing that obviously UCF was tops in stolen bases, but you know they got to get more guys on base in particular for that to work. Who are they going to be relying on who's uh, who's coming back, and who are they going to be relying on who is uh, who, are, who are newcomers that we'll see a lot of? Well, you know, obviously we talked about Wingo, and they need to, the, the most important part is not just Wingo, but the protection they build behind him, because if they don't do that, then Wingo's not going to get a lot to see. Uh, look, you know last year that this team, yeah, okay, they, they, I, I, that is surprising. They rank so high, high in slugging. But but this offense was pretty anemic for most of the second half of the year. It just wasn't deep, and we heard Lovelady allude to that as well. And he talked about the the six or seven guys, you know, in that order um, that that they look on look upon for to provide more run production, namely Josh Crouch, you know, a, a, a transfer, a junior college transfer who could play catcher or DH. Um, he's going to split time really at catcher with Ben McCabe. Uh, but I've seen him in practice, and and he and like I said with Love, like. The power there is is totally legit. Um, Tom Jostin's a guy they're very high on. He will hit third in this lineup uh, and provide power. But I think it, it's going to start at the top, and it's going to start with a guy in Jeffrey Pena, who you know did not get a lot of the bad last year. Was not seen as an offensive force in any aspect. He was really just a pinch runner, late game situational guy, defensive replacement, and now he's come over. And he's added like 15 pounds of muscle. He says he's come back from the summer. He's added 15 pounds of muscle. He's still fast. He hit an op- opposite field home run in fall ball, which kind of like blew my mind because that didn't make any sense as opposed to what the <laughs> Jeffrey Payne saw last year. And yet now he's going to be atop this lineup. He's going to be batting first, uh, right right ahead of Dalton Wingo, trying to set the table for the guys behind him. And we got to talk to uh, Jeffrey today uh, about – getting the the honor really of being uh the leadoff hitter for this team what it means to him how far he's come in a year and really how far he's come in the past only three years because this is a kid who grew up was born in santiago dominican republic uh came to the united states in i believe 2017 without knowing a lick of english uh and you can hear in the interview we're about to air he has really caught on quickly with not only his english uh, but the way, just the way he is comfortable in the system. Uh, Lovely talked about how his grades are really high for a kid who had that barrier to fight. That barrier to fight through. It's amazing to see how quickly he has just adapted to everything around him, despite the challenges. And now he's going to be a lit off hitter for this team. So, uh, without any further ado, let's cut to the interview with UCF center fielder and leadoff hitter Jeffrey Pena. Uh, I feel pretty good. I'm really having a really, really good fall and spring, so I feel like more confident this year and, and working with all my teammates together. I feel like it's, it's pushing me a lot and just like feel like pretty much like more confident about everything that I do. Like last year, I was kind of afraid of like made a mistake or something, 
But this year, I just changed a lot. Just like, uh, if I made a mistake, okay, I just got to be better next time. And this year, just confident, my level of confidence just went up. Just after you know, playing last year, coming in this year, where have you made the most improvement out there? There's some parts of your game where you feel like you're a lot better now yeah. than you were last year. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, last year, I was kind of more like a pinch runner and like a different guy, different replacement. So this year, I improve a lot of my hitting game and bunting and all that stuff. Like just trying to go with a small ball and do whatever they need me to be. Like I'll be ready to do whatever the coach need me to. You well, the power too. I think from you is something that fans didn't see last year. You were a pinch runner really, but then in fall you went oppo uh, in one of the games. Yeah. Just talking about the, the the power of your game, the strength in your game has really seemed to grow in this year, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, definitely a lot. I mean, working really hard in the weight room with Jeremy. You know, we we just been putting a lot of time just to get better and try to get like bigger and stronger. So. I feel like it just came out like how it was supposed to be, so I'm just really happy about all the stuff that has been coming out, like working really, really, really good together. What does it mean for you to not only be starting in center, but leading off, I mean, right at the top of the first bad bat of the season is going to be you in the box. What does it mean to have that assignment for you? Oh man, yeah, it feels awesome. Like, it's just something, kind of like a dream coming through, and just like feel like ready like to play right away. Like, we've been working really hard and just keep working every single day, and we're just ready like to go and roll. Like, nobody expecting Everybody's expecting a lot of stuff from us, so we just quiet right now. We're going to do a lot of job. We're going to do everything right. I know you're only a freshman last year, but you saw how a lot of guys left, a lot of guys graduated, a lot of newcomers. Being that you were here last year and knowing maybe this was an opportunity for you to kind of step up, did you kind of think about that? Like maybe I need to be more of a leader or I need to kind of lead by example where you kind of seeing this season as your big opportunity? I mean, yeah, that's a good point right there. I feel like after last year, all those guys left. I feel like I had like a little bit of uh, weight on my shoulder to be kind of like a leader for other new guys. So I just try to work out really hard and try like to be a leader for them and teaching a lot of new stuff. Because of your expanded role, because of more that's put on your shoulders this year, how do you sort of not put pressure on yourself to succeed? Uh, just pretty much I just relax about it. Like I, like I said before, it's just about confidence. I just feel more confident. So like last year, like I said before, I was afraid I made a mistake or something like that. This year, I'm not afraid to do that. Like, if I made a mistake, okay, just, okay, I will try it harder than what I was trying there before. So I feel like it was my level of confidence. You know what this team was like last year. So coming into this year, a lot of new guys, I think 18 new guys. Yeah, around 18. Uh, with the offense, who just stood out to you among the new guys who were on this offense? Uh, Justin, like Tom Justin, he was a big, big, big guy. Like, he got hurt uh, at the beginning of the uh, fall when we started playing. But then he came back and he was like a dude and I was like, Oh wow, these guys do and like crouch as well. Like playing with all those guys behind my back, like I know that they have my back. Like when I have a bad day, I know that all those guys behind me, they're gonna have my back and they're gonna protect me. Like who's your favorite baseball player growing up? Like as a little kid, or is it do you have a favorite player you still uh, like to watch or emulate? I try to be I try to uh, try to be a little bit like my child. It's kinda like a, that's why I wear twenty seven okay. and I like to play that position as well. This is kinda like my play, just the way that you play the game, like respect the game really well. Like and I try to do the same thing, to try to hustle every day and just be the be the best that I can be. Center field, is that a position you've played like your whole life or have you played all over the place or what's kinda your background with playing uh, different positions? No, uh, so when I was a little kid I used to be a shortstop. Okay. But then I saw like getting kind of like they say like rock hand and stuff like that so they moved me to the outfield and then I started, I started playing outfield in the Dominican Republic so when I got here I was an outfield and then after that I just, you know, just stick with it you know yeah. and I feel like really comfortable playing outfield because I can move really well and just I always like try to be like the best I can when I play the position. So when did you move here to the United States? How old were you? Uh, I was 17 okay. when I got here to the U.S. It so was you, like a 
You played your last two years of high, of high school ball here in Florida? Yes, yes. Okay. I played here uh, my last year, junior year. I came here as a senior, uh, but because I didn't know the language and all that stuff, they made me like uh, repeat junior year. So okay. I repeat pretty much junior year and then uh, senior year. So when you're looking at different schools to play baseball, why did you pick UCF? What stood out about you know coming here to University of Central Florida? Um, it was just, I feel like UCF, just the first time that I got here to campus, I just feel like comfortable and I feel myself, I was like, oh man, this is a place that I want to be. And I went to a football game and it was a really, really good like uh, time at the game. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is a place that I want to be. This is a place that I will try to like get to it. So knowing going through last year, you just kind of a freshman, kind of learned your way. And now you're you know poised to be one of the primary players on the team. Yeah. How excited are you for, to get the season going now that you're going to play in such a much bigger role? I'm really, really excited. Like everybody's excited in the team to play today. Like we just excited to play Friday, but right now we, we can't be worrying about Friday. We got to worry about today and get better today. You talk about like your journey here, but in the last four years, can you or it's been three years even? Yeah. How much your life has changed, and from from then to now, what's what's that journey been like? Uh, it's been amazing to be honest. God, getting here to the U.S. without not even knowing the language yeah. and living with a, with a family that didn't speak Spanish to me. So it was hard wow. at first, but then I got used to it. So like staying over, like doing extra hours school, like trying to like learn the language fast. And it feels like it's been like a dream to me coming through. Like I never thought about this and here I am today. All right, that was Jeffrey Pena. The last time, uh, by the way, the last time I saw him, he was uh, coming across the plate for that winning run against Memphis uh, in that thriller in Clearwater. And uh, you're right. I mean, he was to see him uh, develop some pop Um and to have him become one of the uh, one of the top guys that they're going to be relying on in the roster, you know, speed plus power. I think that's going to be a big combination that UCF is going to need this year, right, Eric? Uh, right, right, Eric. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think the interesting thing that that I take away is there's options, uh, you know, guys. I mean, we mentioned this is the fourth year we've talked to Coach Lovelady, and I don't remember as many names being brought up as far as options are concerned. Uh, and you could sense it in the interview with Greg and the, you know, kind of like the excitement about, hey, we could do this against certain matchups. We could do that against other matchups. Um, to me, that that's fascinating from an offensive standpoint. Obviously, he was so proud of Pena and the improvement and the development of Jeffrey Pena, which is really what is vintage Greg Lovely, what he wants, developing guys kind of like what he did at Wright State. And really what you need in college baseball to be consistent program winners, the top programs develop guys every year. You can't win in with one-year guys. It just doesn't work that way. You just need them usually for plugging in. But Murph, I, I think he's genuinely excited about this young offense just from the standpoint he's got a lot of options. I mean, a Josh Crouch he talked about with the power. He's going to catch, to DH, can play at multiple positions, uh, as well as uh, you know guys like Rathbone, uh, Rathbone Jordan, another big power bat. And then among others, Tom Justin. I think there's some guys here. He feels pretty good that they have a could have a deep lineup that goes past four or five hitters in the lineup, and even guys on the bench can can be will be uh, contributors and starters. Yeah, and he's honest that you know he doesn't really know who his who his you know his starting nine is going to be even on Friday because uh, well he, he may know but it's gonna, it could change on Saturday because there are so many guys he wants to work in. He mentioned twelve guys that he wants to work into his lineup and he just doesn't know how it's going to pan out until the lights come on and also we want to know who's lining up everywhere and for some of some of those positions we know who is going where we know that Jeffrey Pena is going to be in center we do know that uh, uh Dalton Lingo is going to be in right 
But Tom Johnston could play second or third. Uh, Matthew Archer could play second or third. Noah Orlando, I thought was going to be the starting shortstop, but as Love sort of alluded to, Andrew Brait has really pushed him of late and might surpass him for that gig. Uh, Jordan Rathbone, catcher or left, uh, who will be catching? Will it be Ben McCabe or Josh Crouch? And it, and and if it's Crouch catching, could we see McCabe at third? I've seen McCabe in practice lineup at second. I've seen him in the outfield. Wow. So. There's a lot of versatility with with the most versatile team he's had, right, Murph? I mean, it's probably the most versatile team he's had. He mentioned the interview is one of the deeper teams, especially when we talk about the pitching stuff. But he's got more versatility here as far as plugging in guys in certain positions and yet feels good that he won't lose defensively. Feels good. I mean, you heard him talk about Matt Archer and how great he thinks he'll be defensively in the infield. But I don't remember him talking this much in depth about the versatility of the roster. Do you? Yeah, uh, and he has and he has mentioned that Matthew Archer has the look of a Gold Glover, uh, an All Conference player. Uh, and I've I've watched Matt Archer and Noah Orlando up the middle, uh, just in just in scrimmages. You know, I've watched a couple of scrimmages, and uh, you know, and Love Letty will tell you how slick they are. And then you watch it and you see it. Now again, I think obviously the one caveat to all of this is that it's very different when the actual games begin and then then we got to see you know who really is stepping up for the moment and, and that is where you know all this depth well it will naturally be winnowed we will find out who the best players are and the guys some of the guys we're talking about now they will naturally not see a whole lot of playing time probably this season because some guys will fade away while other guys rise to the, the rise to the top that's just the way it is but i think the important part to know is going in Love Lady sees so much potential in more guys than he ever has before with this program. That potential extends its way to the pitching staff, too, as we take a look at them. You know, and last year, by the numbers, UCF, again, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack, a team ERA of 4.20, which was fourth in uh, in the American. Houston had the lowest ERA uh, allowed in the, in the American, a 3.82. The places where UCF seemed to do their best was in the was in numbers related to control. They had the second fewest wild pitches uh, and uh, the fewest hit batsmen um, in the league. They were also uh, very good at not allowing extra base hits. They uh, allowed uh, they were among the uh, the leaders in fewest doubles allowed. Actually, they were the leader in fewest doubles allowed and were uh, four and, and allowed the fourth fewest. Home runs. The problem was teams, you know, just kind of, just kind of nickled and dimed them to death because UCF's uh, uh, finished sixth uh, in lowest opponents' batting average. Uh, they allowed 260 uh, as a, as a team. Houston was uh, allowed the lowest at uh, 238. So, uh, and by the way, Memphis was the worst at 281, four spots behind UCF in that in that category. So. Um, again, now there are more, there are fewer newcomers in the pitching staff than there are um, in the posi- on the position players, uh, Murph. But that doesn't mean that 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 side was immune to all the change that was happening. There's still a bunch of new guys uh, that are coming into the fold. Sure, and if and you can even add guys who they may not be new, but there are guys in this team that either didn't play at all last year or played very few innings, and all because of injury. Uh, you know, we can go over it again and again and again and again, but it, it, it just bears repeating how, how how much bad luck this pitching staff had when it came to injuries last year, where near the end of the year, day-to-day, Lovely just didn't know 
who was going to who was going to be able to throw because they just didn't know who could throw. Um, so you could add those guys in too, guys like Joe Sheridan, who will be back, and Nolan Lepkowski, who missed all of last year with Tommy John, should be back soon. Um, uh, Ryan Saltonstall will be in the bullpen. Trevor Holloway missed the end of last year due, due to biceps injury. Uh, Jeffrey Hakenson, who's the closer, uh, missed uh, most of the uh, end of last year due to an injury. Uh, but they're all back, so they may not be new, but it feels like it feel it feels like they are in a, in a way they are reinforcements because they're all healthy now. Um, but you know, as we talked a little bit with there with with Love, and he sort of broke it broke the news to us first, sort of confirming that Colton Gordon. Uh, is indeed his Friday night starter to begin with, against Siena this Friday night. Uh, Gordon is a guy who started out at Florida, uh, redshirted there, then went to uh, Hillsboro uh, Community College and spent a season there. And we got to talk to him today as well. And we asked him about, you know, what does it mean for him to get this start? What, how did he improve when he was in when he was in junior college? Uh, what kind of repertoire does he bring? And, and just how he how how is he going to feel come on Friday night when he hits the mound? What are his emotions going to be like? What is that night going to be like? So here is our conversation with Colton Gordon, UCF's Friday night starter for the 2020 season. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. I mean, obviously a lot of work has been put in the fall and obviously earlier this spring. I mean, with the weight room, uh, stuff on the field throwing-wise, I mean, we put in the work. So for me, I feel confident and I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity. Do you feel like you've improved a lot since getting here in the fall? I mean, where have you made the most strides? Absolutely. I mean, I've gotten stronger. I've gotten bigger. Uh, just understanding myself and my body and, you know, goals of, of what are we trying to accomplish each pitch, you know, knowing yourself. Um, but, I mean, credit to Adi and Jeremy in the weight room. I mean, they got me to where I am right now since I've been here for sure. How have you grown? I know you started in Florida, but how did you grow when you were at Hillsboro and become a better pitcher? Hang on one second. Sorry. Turn yourself this way. Stay that way. <laughs> there you it. go. Perfect. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, you're starting out in Florida, but when, when you went to Hillsboro, how did you become a better pitcher? Yeah, uh, Hillsboro gave me a lot of opportunity innings-wise. I mean, that, that helped me grow and, and learn more about myself at a, at a higher level than high school. Um, and that, by that, I got stronger, got more developed, and that helped me get to where I am right now. What, what, what do you bring on the mound repertoire-wise? What's your strengths? What are you working on? Uh, yeah, fastball, I mean, attack the zone. I mean, that's it. Throw strikes, you know, attack the batter, throw a fastball, change up and slider. So don't, being able to throw any pitch in any count and just being confident with everything, knowing that i got a great defense behind me. What does it mean to you to get that assignment? Friday night, opening day, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it means a lot. It means a lot. It's a great opportunity. I mean, we've, we've all put in, a whole team collectively put in a lot of work since I've been here. And, you know, we have high expectations for the year. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great night. And then just build on each night, each time I go out there. The importance of getting off on the right foot. Yeah, it's it's super important. I mean, we're all like I said, we've all been putting in so much work uh, this fall and this spring, and you know we want to start and keep it rolling. It's one game. Uh, we want to set the tone and, and set the tone for the rest of the year. I mean, we have like I said again, high expectations. You know, we want to play deep into the season, and that starts Friday night. You said set the tone. Opening weekend would get you guys a lot of confidence going on the road in Auburn. Right? Absolutely. I mean, Auburn's also another great opportunity, and. And again, setting the tone for Auburn and, and weeks following. I mean, we need to win games. That, every time we go out there, we have the expectation to win. So it starts Friday night. What do you feel like? What do you, what do you think you'll feel like when you uh, hit the mound Friday night? I'll be excited, man. I'll be excited. It'll be 
probably at the start a little bit emotional, just like you know, excited, excitement, knowing all the work I put in and sure. with with everybody around me, and and from there it's just baseball. You know, you got there, throw the first pitch, and started to get after it. When did you commit to UCF? Was it during your season last year? Was it like last spring, maybe around a year ago? Or it was roughly a year ago. Yeah. Okay. So I uh, was at Hillsborough for for the season last year, and then probably towards the end of the season I committed here. You know, it was a great fit. I, I love it here. So. Yeah, so is that something maybe you were thinking about when you committed, like, you know, man, I want to come in here, and obviously I want to come in and not just start on the weekend, maybe be that top guy. Is that a goal that's maybe come true already? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I think that's a goal for everyone. You know, you want to come in and be that guy. But obviously, you know, coming here, but one of the reasons I came here was knowing that I would have the opportunity to possibly do it. You know, obviously, you got to prove yourself, but knowing that coming here, I, ha- I would possibly have that opportunity is one of the main reasons why I came here, because... I love it here, but also I want to pitch, and it's a great place to be. So We just talked to Jeffrey Payne, his favorite player kind of growing up has been Mike Trout. Uh, yeah. What about for you? Who's been a guy that you've liked to watch and stuff like that? So I actually grew up really close to Tropicana Field, and Carl Crawford, I know I'm a pitcher, but, man, he was he was unreal back in the day. And I, was, I used to go to so many games with my dad, and he was electric, everything yeah. he did. So Carl Crawford. When you look at the other pitchers on this squad, the staff, who's really popped out at you in, uh, through fall and spring practice, all this stuff like that? I mean, honestly, one like all our pitchers have, mm-hmm. have improved, and that's the biggest thing. I think from when I got here, we all came in with the expectations of ourselves, and we've seen each other grow. I mean, Hunter Patterson is a kid, a freshman, that you'll probably see this weekend at some point, mm-hmm. and he... Uh, I mean, he's got he's got it go. He's got it all from from his repertoire to his power on the mound, and he's someone that will be a big name coming out of here at some point when he gets older. But um, but again, all the pitchers and the pitching staff. I mean, just to see everyone put in the work and, and be on the same page of you know we want to have a great year this year. The expectation for yourself and the team has been has been great to have. There's Colton Gordon, a uh, fastball slider change guy. Big body guy, and, and you know, you heard Love talk about it in our previous interview in the previous segment. He's just the guy that they thought deserved this, who earned this because he he has pitched the best against their own lineup in practice. He is he's he's earned it on the field, uh, and we will see how that goes. I, I am very I, I, I there's a lot of interest with this team, obviously because of all the newness. But to, to, I you know when you give a guy like that, Col- Colton Gordon, your Friday night starter. Uh, and a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience. He has he has decent experience, but not a ton, especially at this level. It, it's it's it, it just makes me more curious as to see how he performs because this isn't a guy who's really been here much before. So I I really can't wait to see how he how, what he shows, what he's got, and if he can if he's up to the task. Because I know that Love Lady believes in him now, but again, as I'll say again and again and again, it's so different when the lights come on and things change. And I, I feel like for a kid like him. Even though he was at Florida, he redshirted then. He's never been really in a position like this. And so I wonder how he'll adapt to it. Um, but we'll see here in a few days. Yeah, and that brings us to the schedule. And, Elo, this the schedule, kind of the way it broke down, um, well, looking back at it, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit with Greg Lovelady, but what do you see are the real marquee opportunities for UCF to raise some eyebrows nationally? Well, I mean, let's. Th- I mean, just kind of before we get into that, real quick. I think this pitching staff's depth, though, Murph. Would you agree? Uh, he's got a ton of options. Whereas, if I, you know, there's not, a, there's no pressure on one guy. Would you not agree with that? There's no pressure on one guy to carry the load like in past years. Because you got Holloway, got Hunter Patterson, who's a 35th 
uh, round draft pick from the Chicago Cubs in the rotation. You got a Joe Sheridan coming back. So, uh, and they've got a bullpen that should be pretty deep. So, don't you think this is while there is going to be interesting how they handle the lights? I don't think that one pitcher uh, feels should feel pressure to be man. I got to go and lights out early here because they they're going to have backup. No, I agree with that, and it, it's I, I am also looking forward to seeing Hunter Pattison. Uh, just because I, when I got to see him a little bit in practice, you can see, you, I mean, you can really see the potential he's got. I mean, he is a very skinny six foot four, but because he's a lefty from that size, not, you know, he's not throwing straight over the straight over the top, uh, and he comes at you with a bunch of arms and legs, and his and he has a delivery that that has a lot of deception to it, and I think he's got really good stuff. But that deception adds the deception and the angle he comes from really adds to the stuff it plays up uh and he's just a freshman and so i, I you know for him to get this gig uh, as this uh, you know in the starting rotation right away really tells me a lot about what he, you know coach lovelady and and pitching coach nick Audie have seen from pattison right away and i i think you can see it too just in his raw makeup it he looks he he is what they look like basically and so i'm i'm looking forward to that but going further Jack Sinclair, you know, hitting 97 with some sink. He's a, he could be a swing guy. Jalen Whitehead is, is a guy who could pitch six innings for you, or he could pitch two to three innings in a tight spot. Um, so yeah, they have a lot of depth, not only with their starting rotation, but when you go to like, you know, when you need to eat some innings, not just one or two, but like in the fourth, fifth, sixth innings, if things go wrong up front, they've got guys who can do that. Multiple guys who can do that, you know. Uh, Zach Hunsaker is also in that group. Guys who can do a number of different things. They can come in for one batter, one inning, three innings, six innings, and that's extremely valuable in college baseball. And definitely could have a lot of big bridge going into the bullpen late in the games there, Murph, which you've talked about it many a times in this episode. That's what Love Lady wants to do is win that bullpen battle, uh, and he feels pretty good about that. If you have enough arms in the bullpen, you can win. And we're going to find out, I think, a lot more. You mentioned, Jeff, the schedule. Second weekend of the year. Auburn, a trip to Auburn against an Auburn team that made it to yeah. the College World Series last year. It, they're going to be they're ranked all over the country. There's a million college baseball polls, which is kind of nuts. But uh, they're pretty much top, you know depending where you look, they're anywhere from eight to fifteen. Uh, you know, Butch Thompson's the head coach there, has done a great job. By the way, if you, this is the the I you're going to feel old moment of the podcast. His assistant coach Gabe Gross, former Major League Baseball player, his volunteer coach guys. Tim Hudson. Yeah. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So Murph, if you want to, yeah, Tim Hudson. And they and they're developing a talented pitcher, Tanner Burns, who's one of the top pitchers in the country, might be in the mix, Murph, right, to be a, a one of the top picks in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft uh, he, this upcoming year, right? I mean, he's going to be. A, I mean, right now he looks like a top ten pick, and uh, you know, with Burns, it, this is some really crazy stats. I remember watching Burns last year because when. Auburn came to UCF. He pitched on that Friday night um, against Grant Sherman and actually outpitched Sherman in a pretty close ball game, uh, which Auburn won four to one. They tacked on a run late, but in that game, Burns as a sophomore, uh, five and two thirds, two hits, two walks, seven Ks, one run. And I remember uh, uh, the, talking with uh, somebody there. I forgot who it was, but someone from a from a like a high end college baseball site talking about how big Tanner Burns was going to be. He's going to be like the next Casey Mize. Well, sure enough, Tanner Burns goes on to have a really, really good sophomore year last year, and he struck out 101 batters in 79 and two-thirds innings. Now, in Auburn history, 
there have only been two pitchers to strike out uh, more than 100 batters in a season. And the other one, other than Burns, is Casey Mize, who, again, was the number one overall wow. pick in the MLB draft uh, a year ago, two years ago. So that's the kind of guy that UCF's going to see right after Siena on the road on a Friday night. Yeah, That's going to be right in an SEC country. So I think that's going to be a test for this young roster, how to handle the environment up there in Auburn on the second weekend. You know, other notes on the schedule, they're going to host Cal State Northridge, which we kind of alluded to. It's the Murph series, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have degrees from both schools, correct? It's, it's my undergrad versus my um, master's degree. My undergrad versus my postgrad. Yes, it's, a, it's the Matadors and the Knights. Let's go. And a very fascinating storyline with Cal State Northridge. Dave Serrano is the new head coach there taking over the program, which has been in, struggling a little bit. But this is guy, and you know this, Murph, from living in the West Coast. I mean, he's back in the West Coast, back in the, in the, in the where he was a success. It led UC Irvine and Cal State Fullerton to the College World Series. Recently, he was a head coach at Tennessee. It didn't really pan out there. But this guy's been successful on the West Coast. They're hoping to build it up back up with Northridge there. So UCF will play a four-game series. We didn't get a chance to ask Coach, but we, I wonder if maybe that's a home-and-home. Home. Maybe you get to return to Northridge next year. Oh, or, uh, man. You never... Road trip. Road trip. Here we go. I mean, I, 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 I might go back. I might go back. You never know. You never know. Hey, you know, that's going to be the deal. Hey, and WrestleMania's out west. So if we could set, a, set it up oh, they're boy. out west at the same time as Mania, oh, baby. You can't, but, I can't get away from it. Unbelievable. All right, carry on. You should be proud. Should be proud. We didn't mention it on the podcast, though, with the interview <laughs> there. But, Jeff, you know, we had, but, Jeff, we had 40 minutes with Love Lady, and we didn't mention anything about wrestling. We deserve this one moment. That, that was by design, by the which, way. By the way, anyway. probably the first time in the four years, which tells you how much he likes this depth because we couldn't even get into that. Because the past years, we'd be done after a short names, and then we'd get into the wrestling storyline there. But nonetheless, um, you mentioned in the interview Miami, who's a loaded ball club. They're going to be a top five. They get a midweek. March 11th, they're going to come to Orlando to play UCF at the John. Is that okay if I can call it the John, Murph? Uh, is that, that official? Is, so that is fine. And the word passed down from the man himself, from John Giuliano, this is his exact words. He goes, you can call it whatever you want as long as you show up. So there it is. All right. Man. Well, a lot of people better show up to that Miami. It's a home and home. They go back to Miami May 6th. This is a loaded hurricane team with Gino DeMare in his second year with talented guys like Adrian Del Castillo, the one of the top three catchers in the country, according to D1 Baseball, and Alex Toro. A lot of people think this could be a World Series caliber Miami team. Also, a two-game series, Florida State comes to Orlando, guys. Mike Martin Jr. in his first year taking over for his pops, Mike Martin Sr., who obviously went out going out to the World Series. Florida State comes March 17th and 18th uh, here. It's a Knowles team that loses some personnel, but we know Florida State. They got loaded talent there. Uh, they're going to be you know another top. They're another top 10, top 15 team. Right? They return Robbie Martin, Reese Albert. I can go on on then, and and that's the thing. Even FAU, it's a team that made the NCAA tournament. John McCormick's been a longtime head coach there. Francisco Alvarez, a top five second baseman in the country, according to D1 Baseball. So, I mean, the midweeks are tr tough, as you normally would expect in this state. Uh, I think it's going to be very fascinating. And then you get into the conference schedule with East Carolina. We mentioned, Jeffrey mentioned it earlier. They're the favorites once again, Murph. The question is, has the can the gap narrow? East Carolina ran away with the league. I know Greg feels 
that that won't be the case this year, but they're clearly the favorites with Alec Burleson, as Jeff mentioned. They got this freshman they like a lot, Zach Agnos. They're still the favorites. Uh, that's going to be – that's another top 25. They're in the top 25 in every polls as well. So it's a very kind of a sneaky kind of a schedule there with some quirkiness in there, but uh, maybe a little more challenging than people might uh, might think at first sight, right? No, I mean it's it's a it's a very good team. It's a very it's a very trying schedule. Uh, I think that we're gonna find out so much about this this program or UCF, I should say, in in basically the mid mid to late March. So just in this this one span here, you have the first meeting against Miami, which is all at home. You have a three game series against Yale, which okay, it's fine, it's it's whatever. But like right after that, then you have the two games against. Uh, Florida State followed directly by three games at home against East Carolina. So you have Miami, two games against FSU, and three against ECU. They're all at home, but they all come within a, about an 11-day span. Uh, that is amazing. By the way, by the way, Jeffrey, uh, uh, Jeffrey, I just looked at the schedule. The opening of East Carolina, the East Carolina series is wrestling night at the John, March 20th. Oh! Okay. Mark your calendars no that that stretch we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about this about about this program because that is one hell of a stretch i will say this though about the about the home conference schedule ucf has three home series against the teams that finished one two three in the conference last year ecu obviously to start uh cincinnati which won't be until the fight which is the final weekend of the year and then tulane comes here at the end of of April, the Knights go to South Florida. They go to UConn. They're home for Wichita, who again was projected to be last in the conference this year. And they're at Memphis, which has for some reason just been a bugaboo of a place, even though Memphis is uh, again projected to be near well, they can the hit, bottom. Though, Jeff, you know them well. They can right. hit. Though, they can hit. And uh, the probably the toughest road set that they're probably going to be. They go obviously they go to UConn and to Houston. Both those teams made the. NCAA's last year, so that's so that's a tough. Those are two tough road series. Plus, you know, obviously going to South Florida. Last year. Houston was. Oh, that's right. Houston just missed barely it. missed it. My bad. So, um, there were people who thought that they should have been in there, but yes. ECU, Cincinnati, and Houston went in. But or, or uh, ECU, Cincinnati, and UConn, I beg your pardon, did get in. So yeah, some would argue Cincinnati took Houston's spot when they won the conference. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So. So I mean, Todd Whitting's got, but he's got a good team, obviously. Uh, Clay Aguilar is one of the top pitchers, lefty pitcher there. Terry Rooney's a, the second year's pitching coach there at Houston. Tulane, Murph, as you know, has one of the top outfielders in the country in Hudson Haskin, who uh, yeah. 372, 10 homers, 52 RBIs. And with him in that lineup, they, they're capable of scoring a lot of runs too. No, definitely. I mean, I mean, I mean they don't have uh, the, the – I forgot the kid's name, but the kid who got drafted by the Dodgers in the first round of, of this draft, who was a massive power hitter for Tulane, uh, whose name escapes me. But that offense is still pretty loaded. Uh, and, and Hudson Haskin, I believe, is only a sophomore. Um, so, it's it, yeah, I mean, there, that, there's a test. The, the great thing about playing in the AAC is – Cody Hosey, by the way. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank you so much. 25th, he was, pick, over, 25th pick overall. Right. Yeah, to the die. He was an absolute monster last year. I think he finished what first or second in the country in home runs. Anyway, yeah. I should, and he was the I pre, and he was the and he was the player of the year in the conference too yeah. last year. So right. he was yeah he was just sublime. But anyway, Murph, go ahead. I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah, but like Hudson Haskins comes, but Hudson Haskins come, comes back. He's a second team All Conference uh, selection. Uh, so 
I, the great thing about playing in this conference is it, it's, I mean, for those who don't know about college baseball, I understand it's not the most popular sport in the college landscape. The AAC, the American is really, really good at baseball. Like it's like, it's, it is, it's better than basketball and it's, it's, it's right up there with football. Although the way the way football has gone, I'll, I'll give it some credit. Like it, it's, it's played its way up, but, but baseball is that good. It's that deep. It's that talented. And, and we've got guys in this conference who are, going really high in drafts and are being, you know, first team All-American guys, second team All-American guys. Yeah. And you see that once you break into conferences and you see that every weekend. And that's what makes this really fun. And what we don't know is how can UCF, a team with basically 18 newcomers, which if you want to include guys who didn't pitch last year because of injury, it's more like 21, 22 newcomers. How do they stack up against this conference and then against Miami, Florida State, uh, Butler as well, Auburn. I mean, it's 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 going to be quite a test. Butler's a sneaky team in the Big East. They've got Connor Schultz, a top pitcher. Keep in mind, he's probably going to be their Friday night guy. So it might be the best pitcher in the Big East. And that's the thing. You, you know, you might say, well, what, 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 what's the Butler? Those are t- those are important games because those, you know, you lose that series, for example. That's a type of series that could keep you out of the tournament too. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It may not be a marquee win, but when you got, I mean, and that's the thing about college baseball is. Teams like Butler and Yale, they have a, usually a quality Friday night guy or Saturday that's capable of beating you. You just happen to out-deep them. So, uh, I, I agree. I think that's going to be tricky about the schedule. By the way, Wichita State, first-year head coach, Eric Wedge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We forgot all about that one. <laughs> Want to feel old? You know who his pitching coach is? Oh, God. Oh, no. His pitching coach is Mike Pelfrey. Oh, four? Oh, God. Four I mean, I mean so, what know, is with all these? What is with all this major league talent coming down into the American? We, you know, we have a new UC, we have a new assistant coach here at UCF who was a who was a coach for the Red Sox. I mean, it's, it, yeah. I mean, I mean that certainly speaks to what you guys are saying. Where there's, you know, obviously there's talent in the league, and guys want to coach here, you know, or at least start their coaching careers What's here. A great league. It's a great league. You both have covered the baseball tournament in Clearwater uh, in various roles over the last few years. I mean, the depth and talent. It's a top five every year, consistent RPI, uh, top five baseball league. And, and as Coach Lovely, at times they've been two or the second or third best in given years. This is a quality, uh, deep league. Now, what's interesting, it's worth noting, UConn, this is the last year for UConn. That's the one sport you could argue that we're really actually going to miss them, right? With Jim Penders and the great job he's done at UConn, UCF's got to go to UConn, unfortunately, one more time this year. But So that's going to hurt them a little bit from the league standpoint. But uh, So I think the league's kind of hoping that maybe Eric Wedge can turn around Wichita State, whether he can or can't. Who knows? Maybe USF in their second year under head coach Billy Mole. Uh, can kind of get South Florida back into contention like they were under Kingman when, before he left for South Carolina, uh, somebody like that. Maybe Cincinnati with Scott Guggins and that new stadium can build on that momentum from last year. Uh, you know, I, it's going to be fascinating with that in, in, from that regard. But it's a talented league where there's no gimmies in every weekend. And uh, it's full of surprises, as we guys have seen, not only in the regular season, but even in the conference tournament. Yeah, and and going back to to that, you know, based on just last year, and assuming this trend continues, uh, it would be something to see. Rem- last year, remember, guys, seven of the nine teams in the conference finished in the RPI top 100, and yeah. the two that didn't, USF and Memphis, were 118 and 130, so they weren't that far out. 
Um, we can talk about you know how those you know some of the teams in the bottom have struggled, but there's still some pretty good teams out there because they play such brutal schedules, don't they? No, absolutely. And uh, one thing I wanted to bring up as I'm, I'm looking, at, you know, we talked about how important the 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 wins like Butler is, even though we might overlook it. Something that I, I think we need to watch closely this year, and, and really, you don't. I don't know how UCF can change this, but it's just a crazy trend that happened last year that really kept them out of the tournament. This team was brutal, absolutely brutal on Sundays. Uh, for whatever yeah. reason, be it the pitching or they couldn't hit or whatever, especially coming off of 1-1, like in rubber match Sunday games, they couldn't help themselves at all. And that's really what kept them out of the tournament is inability to close series. I think that's, I think that's a storyline that people may you know need to pay attention to because those are games when you're 1-1 in a series, those series yeah. wins, those extra wins on Sundays, that, that changed your entire year. Yeah. And I, I'm just doing the math. I think UCF, uh, well, they were well, they, they, they were, I think it was like four and nine, like on Sunday, rubber match games. Like it was, it was really, really bad. Like it was, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but it was really, really bad. And, and that's something we need to pay attention to. All right. Well, well be- especially to make the tournament. I mean, we, again, we're talking about, this is the last two years. This has been a team that has been just missed the tournament. They've been one of the first four out, first five out, however you want to look at it to your point, Murph, think back to last year. They played that Sunday game against Auburn rubber series in that wild shootout with the winds blowing out and Auburn wins 13 to nine. That was such a crazy game. You know, if they win that game, they win the Auburn series. Maybe that gets them in. You just never know. They lose a Sunday game against Penn state. They lose two out of three in that series to Penn state. If they win that Sunday game, maybe that's enough to get them into the field uh, of the 64 in the tournament. I mean, you're right. I mean, that the Sunday games have been a, a kind of a bugaboo, if you will, uh, for them. Uh, think back to the Cincinnati series where they won the first game 15 to nothing, and then lose a double header. Now that was a double header uh, of sorts, with but they lose on a walk off on the last uh, at back because that game got pushed to Sunday uh, due to weather, or whatever, and they lost on a walk off. I think it was literally like a strike away from winning that series, and they lose it on the pitch. They lose at Wichita State. Uh, on a last game of the series. So you're right, especially in this league where it's so competitive, it's hard to sweep people. So more times than not, the odds are the majority of your conference series are going to be 1-1 going into that Sunday game. Yeah, so I was looking it up. So UCF was 4-7 and seven on Sundays and then actually did win their last two Sunday games in one and one series. It was against uh, Houston, which was that uh, – well, it wasn't a Sunday. It was a Saturday. But the point being is that it was a series finale game that was the that was the final game of the regular season, 11-10 walk off in 11 innings, and then they won at Tulane on a, on a, on a Sunday as well. But before that, they were four and seven on Sundays, and you're throwing away series at that point. You're throwing away wins at that point. I mean, there's no way they should have lost that Penn State team on, on Sunday. The way they were playing, uh, they threw it away. There's no way they should have lost to USF on the uh, on the weekend they played they played here, uh, and it was just a bad, uh, slow performance after dominating the first two games, it, it's just... And that was a chance to sweep South Florida, which was a team that didn't even end up, as Jeff mentioned, making the conference tournament. Right. You have to put your foot down, and, and you can't settle for, you know, just getting a win. You have to win series, and where this team fell short last year was winning series, kept them out of the tournament. All right. Well, the first thing's first. You got to take care of business against Siena. UCF, again, opening the season uh, this coming weekend against the Saints. It's a four-game set... Uh, Friday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday against the one of the 
longest serving coaches in any sport in college, Tony Rossi, who's heading into his 51st season at Siena. Um, And uh, even though they're picked ninth by uh, Baseball America in their in their conference, the MAAC, um, it's it's a tradition unlike any other. They come down here to open up the season, I believe. What, what is it, uh, Murph? UCF is all time is 50, 58 and four. I think it is against Siena all time. Is that right? I'm, I'm trying to look that up as well. I believe you said that earlier today. It was fifty eight and four. Although they did, uh, they have had some slip ups. They had some slip ups recently against Siena, but uh, yeah, I don't. I no, don't there's crappy. Any... I mean, it's weird. There's always a game. It seems like they play like last year. Even Murph opening night, it was only a three to two ball game. Uh, right. It wasn't like you know. It was a blowout. I mean, Siena always has that game or two. Again, going back to what I talked about earlier, even these type of teams, they always have a quality arm or two that early in a series can bite you and can, and, and can really upset you and beat you there. You know, last year they threw this kid named Tommy Miller who gave up just two runs in five and two-thirds against, Shor- uh, you know, Shorman, and the game became a bullpen game. UCF was able to pull it out. I think it might have even been a walk-off hit situation. I don't remember. Um, in fact, it was. It was a Ray Alejo reached on a fielder's choice mm. on a throwing error by the third baseman for Siena last year, Kelly, uh, Brian Kelly, uh, to win the game for the night. So, And that's why, and that's a great point you made. Let's not overreact to every single game early in the year, especially this young roster as they kind of find themselves. You're good. Don't be shocked if you see some, you know, some, you know, some early struggles. Maybe they don't blow teams out. Maybe they drop a game here or there. I, I think this is a team that will get better as the year goes on and, and as they develop and they figure out who they are. Uh, but, you know, in college baseball, with the parity that there is, don't, you know, there's always, some, you know, a game or two that could bite you uh, and sneak up on you. And Sienna's no different. I have to no, correct and, myself. And, it's 57 and four, by the way. 57 right, gonna, would, and that's four. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, exactly but uh, but it should be noted that uh, UCF and Siena uh, have played. Uh, let's see. Looking back through it, they played 2019. They played to open the season every season for UCF since 2010, and then going back to it, they uh, the Siena also came down here to play. In uh, 2008, 2006, 2005, 2002, 2019, all, going all the way back to all, uh, basically every other year, going back to 1997. So they're very familiar with each other. Siena's last victory over the Knights, by the way, was uh, February 16th, 2013, a seven to four victory. Every time they played, it's been uh, down here. But uh, but th- these teams. You know, it's funny. We talk about, like, teams that have history. Well, these two teams have history, and it's mostly entirely lopsided in favor of UCF. So. Oh, let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. That's you know, the hope, yeah. The first, mid-week, the first midweek, Stetson comes to here uh, to uh, UCF, uh, part of a home-and-home. Home. They play in Deland later in the year, and that's kind of a mystery team. We don't know what to expect from Stetson, guys, because a couple of years ago they made that great run. Uh, Murph, you were there when they won the regional, went to the super regional. I think Logan Gilbert was their top pitcher, and they had some other guys that got drafted. And then last year, they were still high expectations, and they kind of disappointed. Uh, they weren't as good as people thought that they would be. So it's going to be interesting. Which Stetson do we get? You know, do they bounce back from a disappointing down year last year? You would think they do. You think they have talent. I know that people are, uh, some people have liked the freshman Nick Durgeon that's coming to land there, and, you know, Tripp there's a good coach. But that's another interesting one, Stetson. What do we expect from them in those midweeks, which UCF was very good. You talked about how they struggled in finales, but they were very good in midweeks last year. No, absolutely. And with Stetson, though, Stetson kind of caught the 
a little bit of the bug that UCF had too. Like they, Texas just got put behind the eight ball because of injuries last year. They really had a lot of injuries, uh, and, and and also when you lose, obviously a player like a Logan Gilbert's caliber, uh, it's hard to replicate that. Not just you, you can't just fill a rotation spot and be like, that's it, we got it. Like no, it, Logan Gilbert was a top twenty MLB pick for a reason. By the way, he's really good right right now in the, in the minors. Um, so yeah, you know, we'll see what 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 comes back, but for this year, but I, I would I would be very surprised if this if this Stetson team is not markedly better than it was last year. All right, and it'll be and our hope obviously is that that trend continues obviously for UCF in particular, and that, and getting that series back on there as it has been for the last couple of years uh, right. has been definitely been a, a boon. So it's good to see. So uh, as we uh, wrap this thing up here. Um, I, you know, I don't like asking, you know, like, what do you project for wins as we finish up? Um, because it's so difficult to do, but, um, let, all right, so let's, so let's play it this way. I'll ask, uh, I'll ask both of you guys based on what we think right now, UCF picked, like we said earlier in the show, fifth in the conference. Do you think, uh, would, do you buy, sell, or hold fifth in the conference? Obviously, buy means you think that they might finish, uh, uh, you, you, it means that you think that they might finish uh, better than that. Uh, sell means you think they finish below that. Hold means you think that they would be uh, in the same spot. Eric, I'll start with you. Oh, man. You know, I'm, we know how we love these questions, don't we, Murph? <laughs> yeah. That's why I come really, up with them. <laughs> they're really informative. <laughs> buy, sell, or hold. It's just pick one. <laughs> I'm optimistic guy. I'm going to buy here. Look, I mean. Other than East Carolina, I think East Carolina is the favorite. But I, there's not a huge gap in this league. And I'd like to think, and I think the big difference this year is if we could stay healthy with the depth in the pitching arms and the quality arms. I know people are concerned about the offense, but this is a different college baseball than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago when the, the aluminum bats were live and it was like, you know, gorilla ball and it was 12 to 8 games and you needed bats. I'm not saying you don't need bats, but today's college baseball, it's about quality arms and depth in the quality arms and I think we have that for the first time I asked I told Greg in the interview this is the deepest you have it you can tell the excitement he's got the depth here and I think this team uh will will, will certainly have enough arms to finish better than the top five I think they're in the mix I'm not gonna say where the heck to finish who knows that's as Murph mentioned a lot of it it's variables like how do you finish a series uh a walk-off here, a walk-off there. I mean, can make the difference between well, second place and sixth place. Well, so, cons- consider last not- year, consider last year, Eric, Cincinnati finished in second at 13-11. and 11. They were two games up on UCF in the loss column, and UCF right. finished in sixth. And think about mm-hmm. it, if UCF wins that Cincinnati series, how that could flip. Right. Uh, now, you made a great point, Jeff, on the schedule about the fact ECU has to come here uh, as well. You know, from that standpoint, I think that helps. Uh, from a from that scheduling standpoint, so I, I'm going to say they're going to finish better than top five. I'm a, but I'm going to assume that health is good this year. We, Lord knows, we're due to have some good health. We haven't really had that uh, last year for sure. And even a couple years ago, remember we lost Joe Sheridan, uh, who's back on the team now, but he's still within his injury. So hopefully they're healthy. I, I'm going to buy that they're better. I think that's what your that's what your rule says, right? Right. Fifth, fifth. Uh, so you're think, th- saying that they will finish above fifth place? Yeah, better, better than that. Yes. Okay. All right. How about you, Murph? Yeah, I don't want to go down like the Michael Wilbon route and just oh, say, "Oh, come on." It's, I, I won't. I won't. But it's, it's close. 
I do feel like what Eric said, and it, it's the to- it is what this team is built upon. If this team is healthy on the mound, if this team can shorten games after the starter goes five or six innings, if they have that back end of the bullpen like they had a couple years ago uh, uh, with uh, like Bryce Tucker and, and the and, and the like of those players, uh, then I could see this team certainly finishing higher than fifth. And I believe they have better pitching than Tulane, who's forecast to finish above them. And then, you know, right, they're right there with UConn and, and, and Houston. I yep. still think ECU is by far the class of the conference. But I could see this team finishing, if we're being optimistic, I could see this team finishing third in this conference. And then, you know, I mean, certainly the worst case scenario is a lot worse than that. All right. Well, look, I mean, but you say that. I mean, look, baseball, of all the college sports, there's the most thinnest of margins, isn't it? Like, just a thin of a margin, a, a blue pit here, an injury to a position play here or there can make all the difference in the world. It's such a random sport to begin with. That there's not a huge difference uh, in talent. It's not like football where you might be superior from the top team in the league in football. Like UCF, comparing them and, say, like UConn in football or like something like East Carolina, it's not even close. Uh, you could say that in so, to some extent in basketball. And that's not the case in baseball. We saw that where, what was it, last year in the conference tournament, Wichita State was the team that sneaked in, barely snuck in, and they knocked off East Carolina in the opening game of the conference tournament. I know, and they beat them twice, actually, if I recall. I know it's a conference tournament, there, but my point is a thin, thin uh, margin of error, not a huge gap, which is why I think college baseball is one of the hardest sports to predict. I think you're right, and that unpredictability is what makes it so much fun. So we'll get our first look at uh, UCF uh, coming up this Weekend again, Friday, February 15th against Siena, 6 p.m. Oh, no, what am I saying? Um, I'm looking at, of course I'm saying that. I'm looking at, for some reason, I had last year's schedule. Um, Friday, February 15th. Friday, Friday, February 14th, Valentine's Day Valentine's against Siena. Opening, opening night. Make sure you bring your significant other for some uh, for some college baseball, 6 p.m. Doubleheader Saturday, starting at 2. Uh, the second game starts 45 minutes after... The first game, and then they wrap up the four-game set. Murph, the sources sources have told me there's a quality voice that we know of very well. Murph, we be calling that second game of that doubleheader. No, I think we can we can we can confirm that. I will be on the call for the second game on Saturday. I want to thank Mark Daniels for that. So, um, for that Murph, opportunity. Hop on, so. man. I might as well. I mean, I mean, at that point in the second game, I will have been at the park for you know, and by the seventh inning of game two. I will have been inside that park for about six or seven hours, so maybe I will hop on because at that point I'll be out of my I'll be out of my gourd. Maybe I won't let you on in that case. Yeah, maybe. Uh, beautiful. <laughs> Sunday. They, I know. Sunday, uh, one p.m. The uh, series wrap, and then Tuesday, uh, uh, six p.m. against Stetson. That first midweek out of conference matchup before the Knights head to Auburn for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the twenty-first through the 23rd. All right, so let's wrap this thing up here. Uh, thanks again to uh, head coach Greg Lovelady, and we also want to thank uh, Colin Yeager for his help in setting everything up uh, on the, on behalf of UCF. For Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and blackandgoldbanneret.com for all your coverage of UCF baseball throughout the season. Uh, and uh, don't forget to follow us individually. Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy, especially Brian, who 
We'll literally give you pitch-by-pitch coverage on Twitter of every yeah, UCF follow baseball him. He's the very game. best. Follow him, UCF baseball, all year long. He'll be uh, around the park a lot. He's everywhere. Doubleheaders. He loves doubleheaders. And, co- and come say hi to us in the uh, in the press area on the uh, on the first level because we love to talk baseball with you guys. So. All right, for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Enjoy the baseball season. Our regular show will be coming at you tomorrow. For now, enjoy baseball. We'll see you on our next show.